We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me at M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Also, shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers. That's Seahawks Man, the number two man on YouTube. Please come check us out on there. We appreciate the love. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206 and that's C-Kidd-206. All right, this is our midweek episode as we prepare for Seahawks Chargers. Uh, and fresh off of the Monday night uh, shootout between the Chargers uh, and the Broncos, <laughs> we have Chargers beat writer for the Athletic, Daniel Popper, on the line. Daniel, welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Shootout is definitely one way to describe <laughs> that game. Yeah. A hundred percent. The Broncos have been on the primetime, I think, four times uh, in six weeks, um, which is I get it. But it, it, the, all the games have been boring, I guess, from a national standpoint, although I think all of them went down to the final drive. So, yeah, their know. offense is a mess. I mean, it is ugly to watch, like especially after losing Garrett Bowles. The tackle situation is a nightmare and Russ just looks lost, like absolutely lost. So I don't at some point, you feel like it's going to click, but I don't know when because it, it was a total mess. And they had, you know, hundred over 150 penalty yards. Like, it's is ugly. Yeah. yeah. If you're the, <laughs> it's, it's the best way I can describe it. It's like the, it's almost the worst case scenario for the people who bought the team just now, you know, because, like, you expect to – you get all these primetime games. You just bought the squad, and they've been booed at home, like, three times uh, already. <laughs> Their defense is, like, one of the best in the league, and they're, like, two and four. Uh, it's 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 brutal. Uh, that The division – everyone knew that division was going to be brutal, but it just it, – yeah, the Raiders and the Broncos are on the wrong end of it. Uh, in the worst way with the Chargers, Chargers sitting pretty in comparison uh, at at four and two. How do you, how does this six week start uh, compared to what maybe you thought uh, entering the year after all the moves that they made this offseason? Yeah, not anywhere close to what I expected. I mean, from a record standpoint, sure, yeah, four and two. Thought they were going to be a pretty good team, but the injuries have really been like the the biggest story with this team early on. You know, Justin Herbert suffers fractured rib cartilage in week two. They lose Rashawn Slater. 
to a torn bicep in week three. In that same game, they lose Joey Bosa to a torn groin. Corey Lindsley has been in and out of the lineup. So he had a knee injury that forced him to miss a game and a half. And then randomly on Monday night, he misses the game because he got food poisoning and he's just so important to what they do offensively. So they've really had to battle through these injuries and make a ton of adjustments. Um, you know, that's not even mentioning JC Jackson, who had surprise ankle surgery on August 23rd. Um, and he has not been anywhere close to what the Chargers expected. He got benched on Monday night. Like he was so bad in that game. Like he completely busted a cover three, uh, allowed the tight end to streak down the sideline. He was defending that third of the field and just let him go wide open for a touchdown. He got beat on a deep ball by KJ Hamler. Also got called for a pass interference penalty. He got benched for Michael Davis. Like they literally took him out of the game, paid the guy $82.5 million this offseason to be a premium corner, and he hasn't been that. So they've gotten to four and two. They're tied with the Chiefs for the best record in the AFC West, but the way they've gotten there is not anywhere close to what we expected. Uh, just because of some of these injuries and then some of the, these guys like J.C. Jackson not performing the way that the Chargers expected. Yeah, you know it's bad on the injury front for the Chargers. If like Derwin's been like one of your more durable guys, and that dude's you know had terrible injury history, and it's like nah, yeah, he's one yeah. of the, one of the healthier cats. Uh, man, yeah. yeah, the the Chargers the Chargers are going through it here with yeah, uh, and, not, and not even mentioning not even mentioning Keenan Allen. He was he's missed five games with a hamstring injury and he's like their go-to guy on money downs and he's completely disrupted how the Chargers are operating on third and fourth downs. You know, third third and four to six is where Keenan thrives. Like last year, he had thirty conversions on third and fourth downs, which is second in the league, only behind Cooper Cup. Like that's what that's where he makes his money. That's why he gets paid as much as he gets paid. And so that's another injury that they've had to sort of work through and figure it out. Before we get to our predictions here, who do you who's relevant uh, that may be coming back? You know, is Keenan on his way back from the hammy? You think? I know we're asking you one day after the game. We know how it goes, but Corey maybe coming back. To, you know that bad uh, Taco Bell he ate. Maybe not messing with his stomach as much any anymore. I know it may not have been Taco Bell. Sorry, uh, but yeah, <laughs> run through some relevant injuries before we get to uh, a game prediction. Who may or may not be back that matters on Sunday. I just want the record to show that I love Taco Bell. And- <laughs> Taco Bell, if you want to sponsor Hops with Pop, my YouTube show, I love you guys. Come on over. You know, I know Mike's Mike's dragging you through the mud right now, but I love Taco Bell, so I just want to keep that avenue open for myself. Um, <laughs> so Keenan, Keenan is close. Now, the thing is they have a bye in week eight, right? And so if you sit him this week, you get another week with the bye week. That does seem appealing, but the way the offense is playing, like they really – need Keenan back. So basically he suffered the hamstring injury in week one, running a comeback route against the Raiders left that game. And then he was kind of trending to come back against the Texans in week four. And then on Thursday, he tweaked it running a route in practice, which is why it's been more prolonged. Like you see guy missed five weeks. Why not put him on IR? Well, he suffered that setback. He got back into practice last week, like in a really limited role, like going through the first maybe five minutes of individual drills. And then once they started running routes against there, he was going off to the side and running sprints at like 60, 70%. So we'll see what happens at practice this week. I, I think there's a decent chance that he comes back. But with that bye week looming, there's always a chance that they just keep him out um, and, and you know get him an extra week of rest there. Lindsley should be back. It's just food poisoning. He got it on Saturday, got sent home with a fever, and they thought it was going to be a 24-hour thing. But obviously, it, it was prolonged a little bit. They need him back. Like I was looking at the splits of their passing game. When Lindsley's been on the field, Justin Herbert is averaging 0.29 EPA per dropback, which would have him tied with Patrick Mahomes for second best in the league. When Lindsley is off the field, Herbert is averaging zero negative 
0.15 EPA per dropback, which would rank 31st in the NFL behind Ooh. Carson Wentz, behind Joe Flacco among passer rater qualified quarterbacks. So like it, it you know, sometimes it, you can't just pick one player and do on the field, off the field splits. Like there's so much going on on a football field that it's hard to, you know, put a ton of stock in that. But with this, like that's actually what's happening. Like they cannot protect well enough when Lindsley is not out there because he does so much on the line of scrimmage. So getting him back will be a huge boost for this offense. So yeah, I'd say Lindsley 95%, 98% he'll be back this week. Keenan's probably a little bit less than that, but definitely trending in the right direction. We'll see how much he does at practice this week. Chris, before we get to the prediction, what now that we've established our, our fast food uh, sponsorship uh, pipe dreams, what, what, you got a fast food spot you want to shout out while we're on it? You know, you want somebody to sponsor us? You know what? McDonald's. If you want to holler at us, I love your large fry, no salt, two cheeseburgers, Sprite, no ice. We're here for you. I'm here for no you. No ice. I love that. So That's such yeah. a heady play. <laughs> That's such a heady play. Daniel, I can't have it watered down, man. Can't have that. I need my Sprite burning when I'm at <laughs> my last bite of my cheeseburger. You feel me? So McDonald's. You want that carbonation. Me. You want that carbonation hitting from the start of the meal to the end of the meal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I don't. I don't eat a lot of McDonald's, but the 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 no ice is a good vet move because then you can just if you're eating there, you can just add it yourself. Then you get it how much you want. Uh, same thing if you go to yeah. the crib too, or just eat it, or just drink it with no ice. So I'll tell you yeah. what, nothing nothing hits quite like a five thirty a.m. McDonald's breakfast when you've only got like one hour of sleep after a game and you're waking up and you're in the airport. That's pretty much the only time I eat McDonald's. <laughs> but give me give me that McGriddle. Give me give me uh. A hash brown, a little coffee, 5.30 a.m., only person in the airport. Yeah. So anyway, McDonald's, you want to sponsor me too? Come on. Come on, come on over. Everybody. No, I'm, like, hope, just, I'm hoping I'm the gonna... YouTube show gets one of these, Daniel. I, I, hope, <laughs> I, hope, we, I hope we nailed it. Uh, I'm looking I'm at hoping. I'm hoping that uh, BetMGM right now, uh, Seahawks still somehow uh, are six-and-a-half-point dogs uh, in this game. So uh, let's really? start this off. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's surprising. Um, to me, six and a half point dogs, even on the road. Uh, let's, Daniel, we'll start with you, man. Who you got? Spread or or money line? Game, uh, straight up. Yeah, give straight us, up. Give, I just like including the spread, but give us a straight up and give us a score. Yeah, I'll I'll take the Chargers 23-21. Damn, another close one. Okay. Yeah, I, the Chargers only play close games, <laughs> and and we can and and we can get into it like. Seahawks offense is a lot better than anyone expected. And yes. I, I know they didn't play great last week against, you know, this past weekend against uh, Arizona, but like they've been an elite offense this year and the chargers are just prone to breakdowns. Like they're a boomer bust defense. They either come up with big plays or they allow big plays. That's pretty much what it's been. Now they've been better. They were better on Monday night, but like how much stock are you going to put in a performance against that offense? Like that Broncos offense is putrid. Like if you're not holding Russell Wilson in negative nine passing yards and a half, then you're not doing your job. Like I don't put a ton of, I don't put a ton of stock in it just because that offense is such a mess. And even with how they played in the second half, they still gave up two straight 35 plus yard passes in the first half. And that was all, you know, JC Jackson busting the cover three, but still like they've just been prone to these breakdowns and you're going up against an offense. that's a lot better analytically than, than the Broncos. So I think it'll be close. 23-21 Chargers. That's my early take here. All right. Okay. There you go. All right. Yeah, the Seahawks play a lot of close games too. So yeah, we're we're accustomed we're accustomed to that around here. Chris, what you got? I too. Oh, this is tough because I really want the Seahawks to win, but I think 
defensively, I don't know if they're going to have enough. But what they showed last week was promising. But can they continue that? It's all about consistency. And I don't know going up against Herbo, Justin Herbert, that is, and that offense, I don't know if they can have another consecutive week where they didn't have the quarterback have three or four four sacks. They had six. So we'll see if they can do it again. But I, I'll, I'll roll with the Chargers to win. I'll say 27 to 20. All right. Oh, well, Chris, right on the uh, Chargers cover in there. Hashtag, I'm, I'm king of hashtag never gamble as well. <laughs> Do not get gambling is uh, is uh, very, very, very bad. Unless you do it with BetMGM, sponsor of the athletic. Uh, I will. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think I'll make, you know, I'm big on sponsorships around here. Yeah. Uh, you will, keep the options open. Oh, I will definitely take a bet. BetMGM, if you want to throw some stuff over here, we can, uh, we'll do a whole third podcast a week about you know, <laughs> betting lines and everything. Uh, I'm part of our, people who subscribe to Athletic, you know, I'm part of our uh, expert picks panel that we do every week. And I am probably the poster child for uh, removing the name expert from the title of that group. Because I, I be getting smoked, man. I haven't checked my What's record. What's your record? Yet. Chris, do you know my record? Uh, and uh, Let me here? see if I can pull it up. Because they posted it about two weeks ago. I don't think they updated it. Maybe it's because you've been the poster child of, or not expert. Yeah. So they, I've been, I'm so bad straight up for some reason. It's, it's really so bad weird. that you don't even know your record. Yeah. You don't even <laughs> check, though. That's the thing. You don't the even look. Time I checked, yeah. I got smoked. Let's see. I'm. You know what? Before we before I do prediction, I do. I'm gonna see if I get the other games. Chris, we'll we'll go back and read the tape. I'm gonna try to do the all the games this week straight up. Uh, <laughs> Saints Cardinals. See, fuck. I have no idea who's gonna win that game. I would. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take That's Arizona. Some analysis right there. Yeah. Let's, let's see. I'll take I'll take Arizona. All right. Who else we got? Lions Cowboys. I'll take Cowboys with. Uh, let's see. Giants Jags. Give me Giants, Colts, Titans. Give me Titans, Falcons, Bengals. Ugh. Ooh, uh, tough one. Yeah, I'll take Bengals, Browns, Ravens. Give me Ravens, Bucks, Panthers. Give me Bucks, Packers, Commanders. Ooh, that's <laughs> yucky. Uh, give me Packers, Jets, Broncos. I'll take Jets, actually, mm -hmm. in that. Uh, Texans, Raiders. Um, I'll take go ahead and go to Texans. You sure? Yeah, I've seen the, the Texans run defense. Um, it's it's almost as bad as the Chargers and Seahawks run defensive. Uh, Chiefs 49ers. Oh, that's a good game. Uh, I will take the Chiefs in that because the Niners are banged up. Steelers, Dolphins, give me two and on. Uh, with two, I'll take Tua's team always. Uh, Bears, Patriots. I'm not gonna watch that Monday night. Uh, but if I do, <laughs> I will take uh, the Patriots. So, Seahawks, Chargers. I'm going to make it a trifecta here. I will go with the Chargers as well. I have actually a similar score as Daniel. I'll take 24-23. Uh, I think it'll be very, very, very close uh, most of the game. Yeah, the Seahawks haven't really – as good as the offense has been, they haven't had to be clutch very often. They had to be like one time against the Lions, um, but largely they just had to just run the clock out on that drive. They didn't have to score, which is uh, just a whole different thing. Now, if the Chargers have to win on a field goal, who knows how that goes, um, you know, with the kicker situation there. But, yeah, yeah I, I like Taylor Bertolet. So here's the funny thing, Daniel. I thought watching that, that game and, and knowing why uh, Lindsley was out, I was like, football's so weird. So you're, you got a guy with a bad leg whose job is to use his leg out there kicking. He's clearly hurt. Like, he's falling down after every fucking kick. Uh, yet the guy who has food poisoning can't play. Uh, you know, I don't know how bad it was. Food poisoning can run the gamut, but like, it must have been bad because he. I mean, you're talking about these are old linemen. 
Like right. these guys are on the these guys are on the field. They'll puke while they're getting into their stance and just yes. like pretend like nothing <laughs> happened. So like it, he must have been like I'm gonna try and grab him this week, but he must have been in a coming out both hurt. ends, man. Have, have either of you guys had food poisoning before? Uh, yes, I actually have. My girlfriend made some food, and I was teasing her and laughing because she was blowing up front and back in and then <laughs> i looked at her and i was like yo i'm gonna go home i'm not feeling good and boy i wish i wasn't laughing at her because that was i too had problems in the front and the back end so moral of the story you shouldn't tease those that are yeah, going yes. to before dale this segment brought to you by taco bell <laughs> <laughs> i got food poisoning when i was a freshman in college from a place called dp dough i don't know if that exists in the pacific northwest but it's basically like a calzone Mm, shop okay. and it was the only place in my college town that was open like lately like till like 3 a.m so i ordered it at you know 2 a.m i got a cheeseburger calzone and i was oh i don't even want to think about it i had tickets to a concert that night i've been looking forward to it for like months couldn't go because i could barely get out of bed so <laughs> no i i get it like if you have a if you have bad food poisoning like it is completely debilitating Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it's it, it, for your old line. You're right, specifically, they'll play with broken bones, fingers sticking the wrong way, bad ankles. But yeah, whatever. How I'm curious to see what you get out of Corey to see how yeah. bad was the food poisoning, man. Because that's yeah, yeah, it can, it, like Chris said, you can you come out the front and the back uncontrollably. Uh, wow. <laughs> and be on the football field, man. That's a that's nasty. Yo, yeah. try to block somebody and then Ooh, it's just, get hit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did they did they have white pants on last night? They no, have they had, uh, they're powder and uh, gold pants, powder That's jerseys right. and, and uh, gold yeah. pants. Yeah, that'd so. be a weird yeah, stain I mean, back there. Right, but but if you're if you have food poisoning, it's probably like pretty close in terms of the shade of color to <laughs> to gold pants, right? Like you probably wouldn't yeah, be able uh, to see it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that could have been bad. Uh, so let's 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 talk about some of the people in this game and some of the sides of the ball that are going to decide this matchup. Usually, Daniel. Uh, I usually ask the uh, someone who covers the opposing team, is their quarterback good? I usually just let them roll with that question. It doesn't feel appropriate with Justin uh, or Jay Herbo. Is that his nickname? I didn't know that. Um, but Herbo, yeah. I, I, I just don't ignore me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I like no, it. No, they call him Herbo. They do? They call him Her Herbo or Jay Herb. Okay, so I did hear it right. Okay, I thought. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, you were on it. You were on it. <laughs> it does. It doesn't feel appropriate to throw that question to you because, like, come on, he's good. So I, I'll tweak it. How good is Jay Herbo? So a healthy Justin Herbert is the top five quarterback in the league, um, but he's not healthy. And we haven't been able to get out of him like any sort of percentages or anything like that. But the guy fractured his rib cartilage. And I talked to a specialist right after it happened. And the specialist at Cedar sinai told me that, you know, fractured rib cartilage can be more painful than a fractured rib, like Oof. the bone. And so, you know, he's – he hasn't revealed if he's getting pain injection. I don't think it would be possible to play with that injury if you weren't getting a pain injection before every game. But, you know, it, it has limited him to an extent. And only over the last couple games has he really started getting outside the pocket, scrambling, feeling comfortable doing those types of things. Like there was a period of time where he wasn't scrambling at all. And especially in the Jaguars game, his first game back, you know, the first half, he was really hesitant. You could tell he wasn't really comfortable in terms of what it was going to feel like while he was throwing, what it was going to feel like when he got hit. So he's feeling more comfortable now. But if you're talking about a guy that's probably 75%, 80% at best. And so that's impacted his statistics. It's impacted how he's played. 
Um, but as he's gotten further away from the injury, he started to feel better and he started to look more comfortable in terms of, of what he can do on the field. Um, I think the one thing that's jumped out to me the most this year, um, because obviously everyone sees the physical traits, you see what he can do when he throws, you can see the mobility off script, all that kind of stuff, but his pocket awareness has been unbelievable. So he's been pressured on 38% of his dropbacks. He's like fifth most pressured quarterback in the league. But he's only been sacked on 8% of those pressured dropbacks, wow. which is by far the best in the league. And it actually would be the best sack per pressure rate of any quarterback since 2017 if he were to finish on this pace. The only guy that I saw that was uh, under 9% sack per pressure rate was Phillip Rivers in 2017. Obviously did it in a much different way, right? Getting the ball out very quickly, just being a supercomputer back there in terms of what he was seeing. But so... The, the protection has been up and down. Lindsley's been up in and out of the lineup. Rashawn Slater's out. They got a rookie there at left tackle and Jamari Salier. But the sacks and those big plays haven't been coming just because Justin is so good at maneuvering in the pocket, avoiding sacks, making good decisions. And I think that's really where I've seen him thrive this year, even with this injury. So I consider the Chargers a, an offense built around their quarterback. And every team kind of says that that's what they are. But it, I feel like just generally speaking, that's a lot easier to see with uh, Cam Newton, Panthers, you know, Lamar's Ravens, Jalen Hurts' Eagles currently. But, like, when a guy's a pocket passer, I feel like there's a few ways to build around a, a guy, um, uh, build around the quarterback. So would you agree that this the Chargers offense is one built around their quarterback? And if so, what are some of the ways that, you know, that illustrate how this offense is built around what Justin's good at? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, if you ask that question to different people, you get wildly different answers. I think they built this offense, you know, in the image of Sean Payton and the saints, obviously Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator was the quarterbacks coach in new Orleans for forever. And they really lean into Justin's processing. And I think that's an underrated part of his game because the physical tools jump out. If you're only watching him for, you know, primetime games, three, four times a year, but, but week over week, he has among the best processing skills of any quarterback in the league. And the chargers have built the offense to sort of, have Justin Herbert be a Drew Brees type quarterback in terms of his decision-making. And I think where some of the frustration seeps in is that, well, yeah, Justin Herbert might be that smart and he might have those types of processing skills, but he also has a much stronger arm than Drew Brees. He's also a lot bigger and he can do a lot more things in terms of outside the pocket and off script and extending the ball downfield. And I think that's where the frustration seeps in is that they don't push the ball downfield maybe as much as, you know, the bills do with Josh Allen, who has a similar skill set to Justin Herbert. Some of that is scheme and just the way that Joe Lombardi thinks about football coming from that, that New Orleans scheme and that New Orleans system. But some of it, too, is their personnel. They don't have any speed at receiver, and, and it shows up in how defenses play against them. They had Jalen Guyton, who's a 4-3-5 guy, and he could really extend the field and, and access the deep part of the field quickly, but he tore his ACL um, early on in the season, week four. And so they don't have speed at receiver. They have Josh Palmer, who's really a possession guy. He's like a four or five guy. Mike Williams can get to the deep part of the field, but it takes him longer to get there. So Mike Williams running a post is a whole lot different than Jalen Guyton running a post. And so that's that's why they're not extending the ball downfield. And I think if you were to say, okay, how, how do they fit this offense more to Justin Herbert's skill set? Is okay, how do you attack downfield more often? But you got to find the personnel to be able to do that. And they just don't have the speed right now to, to access the deep part of the field. So in Seattle, we cover a... Um established the run coach, you know, and Pete Carroll. Um, and he has a lot of reasons for, for being that way. But one of them is the belief that if the 
run game is like secondary. Like if you pass to a test, if you, if you establish the pass to set up the run, kind of work in re reverse uh, as some people have wanted him to do. Um, when you, when it is time to run, you're not going to be able to lean on it in the way that you want, whether it's ice a game or because of how they're playing you or whatever. Um, and I'm curious it, to throw that in the charges. Are the charges running into that issue? Because uh, I, I just I feel like they they have a good offense. Yeah, I look at the run numbers specifically, and I'm like, wait, these guys can't run the ball unless they play the Browns. Like, what, what's going on with their run uh, game right now? Yeah, so a lot of it is injuries up front. And so much of a good run game is having cohesion there among your offensive linemen, among your tight ends, and even wide receivers in terms of how you're going to block things up and create holes. And Corey Lindsley being in and out has been a huge issue. When he's been in there and he's been healthy, you see what, what they're capable of. Like I know the Browns are terrible against the run, but they were really able to block stuff up in that game and, and open things up. Um, you know, Austin Eckler had, you know, 95 yards before contact in that game just because they were blocking so well. Yeah. I mean, 60, 64 of them came on one run, 171-yard run where he wasn't touched. But Corey Lindsley was unbelievable in that game. And he is the engine that makes their run game go. And him being in out of the lineup has been a huge issue. And then Rashawn Slater, too, is a fantastic run blocker, and especially his movement skills. And so, you know, a lot of their offense last year was running outside zone to the left and getting Rashawn Slater in space and letting him go attack on the second level. And they can't do that anymore because Jamari Salyer, he's strong, he's stout, but the reason he fell to the sixth round is because he's not a particularly smooth mover. And so they've had to try and find, okay, what runs are going to work for us? And so against the Browns, they went more inside runs, more inside zone, more gap scheme, and it worked. You feel like you have some momentum there, and then you lose Corey Lindsley again, right? And you get into a game, and you don't have the guy that makes everything happen in terms of your run blocking. And so I, that's really what I point to um, is, is all these moving parts offensively. And, like, they just haven't had the group together for multiple games in a row yet this season. I think that's really impacted, you know, the run blocking and how much movement they're creating on the point of attack for these running backs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
All right. So let me go ahead and send in this trade offer for Austin Eckler then now that Corey Lindsley is going to be. Let me back yeah. here. I'm also I'm not only am I a bad picker of games uh, straight up, I'm a terrible fantasy player. So, so the people listen to the know that. Although I think I'm good in the league that I'm in with Chris. I think I'm like three and three uh, or something like that. Uh, I traded I traded Ladanian Tomlinson away the year he set the fantasy scoring record oh. in 2004. Okay, well, what did you get back? Let's hear that before I. Mm, I don't think it matters. I'm not going <laughs> to reveal that, but it may or may not have been Plaxico Burris. Oh, no. Oh, that makes it worse. Oh no! All right, I'm done. I'm leaving. No. Oh, no. oh, that's that's. I don't think I've ever revealed that publicly. I was I like can, 11 years old. All right, God. I can edit that all out. No, no, leave it in. He said, <laughs> leave it in. Leave the Taco Bell, McDonald's fantasy. Yeah. You're leaving it. So I'm just as bad. At, I'm just as bad at fantasy as you are, Mike. Oh, there we go. Thank. You. I feel like we just know too much about football and maybe overthink it. That's my issue with, with fantasy. I just. I draft poorly. It's it's it's. I'm zero six in one league. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's that is tough. hard to do. That it's hard really hard. Do. I scored fifty points in that league last week. Um, <laughs> my team was so bad. I didn't even. It's 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 terrible. Uh, one one last thing on Jay Herbo. I forgot here. Your last answer kind of ties nicely into this because I was going to ask: Is this O line eventually going to get Justin killed? Because um, it does seem like he does take a bit of a beating back there, even if he's getting rid of the ball. Arizona just got sacked six times by Seattle's front. Like, is this? Uh, is uh, the Chargers in trouble? Is this a good matchup for the Seahawks in that regard? What do you think? Yeah, if Corey's in there, it changes everything. If Corey's in there, then they can scheme things up and and really, you know, send help and ships over to Jamari Salier's side. It's what they did in the Texans game. It's what they did in the Browns game. And they and if they if they can get on script, uh, then the game plan comes alive and they're really able to move Justin outside the pocket. They're able to get into the play action game and they're really able to help Jamari over there so that he's not under a ton of pressure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the right side was an issue in, in the Broncos game. Trey Pipkins, who was going to be a big question mark coming into the season, actually was playing at a super high level. Like I was really impressed with what he was doing, but then he sprained his MCL against the Browns. And so he was not moving well Monday night. Uh, you know, Baron Browning got the best of him on a few rushes on that right side. And so, you know, it, it really it, – when Corey's in there, it changes. Corey's in there, you can get the run game going, and you can get on script and and run some of this play-action bootleg, move the pocket, keep Justin clean. Um, he really doesn't take a ton of hits unless it's like a complete shit show like it was Monday night. And if Corey's in there, then your baseline is not shit show. It's a little bit better than that, so you feel like you can avoid some of the pressure. But I'm sure we'll get to this, but the Chenonuosu revenge game coming up, in this one, and I'm sure he, they're going to be lining him up over Jamari Salier, and, and he's going to be pinning his ear back, ears back and trying to get after the quarterback and prove to the Chargers that shouldn't let him walk. Mm. You mentioned earlier Keenan Allen, and I'm a big nerd on route running and the elite wide receivers, and Keenan Allen's one of my favorite route runners because, again, he doesn't have the speed, but you mentioned his third and fourth down conversions. He's money, and that's because he's able to get open using his head, his body, his arms, just to create separation. And unfortunately, that would be a fun matchup to see going against Tariq Woolen and the other secondary with the Seahawks. But unfortunately, it sounds like he might miss it. So with that happening, who do you see or who do you think needs to step up in that scenario? You still have DeAndre Carter. You, you mentioned Josh Palmer. So who do you think is going to step up and bring that electricity that they need to score against the Seahawks defense that might have figured things out last week against the Cardinals? Yeah, so I'm still up in the air with Keenan. Like, I, I really wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you like if if Keenan's out, then Mike Williams has to step up. Like if he's not being a number one wide receiver while Keenan's out, then this offense has really struggled. He went up against Pat Sertan Monday night and was pretty much erased from the game. But Pat Sertan's a different animal, obviously. But you know, when 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 Mike's rolling, um, this offense is completely different, right? Because he can get to the deep part of the field, win these 50-50 balls. He's great after the catch. They're scheming up a lot of stuff for him in the play action game, running him open on crossers. Um, when he's rolling, this offense looks really good. The problem is when he's gone up against some talented cornerbacks, he hasn't been super successful. So I, I would put it on him. And then Josh Palmer actually had a pretty good game Monday night. He, he was dealing with some injuries. He had an ankle issue. And then early on in that Browns game, he they were running a slant flat and to the right side, and he just collided with a defensive back and banged his knee up. So he was really banged up in that Browns game, but he actually looked pretty healthy. On Monday night, he's a guy that can play inside, play outside. Um, they run a lot of like bubble screens and smoke routes to him Monday night, and he was being productive in that area, sort of a compliment to the running game. But if Keenan's out, it has to run through Mike. Like that's the guy that has to step up. He's got to be a, a true number one guy, you know, feed him 13, 14 times, 10 catches, get him involved in all levels of the field. Um, and he can be that guy in money downs, you know, winning on slants, winning on digs. And uh, he's the guy that really has to step up if Keenan's out because when he's – when Keenan's out and Mike's not stepping up, it's been pretty ugly. Staying with Mike Williams, why is it that he has a game? Is it just because maybe the DBs aren't as good? And like you mentioned, Pat Sertain really just made things difficult, or is it a combination of offensive line movement? And Because there are games where Mike Williams will go off. I think he went off against the Browns over 10 catches, over 100 yards, and then the next week, what happened? It, so, And I've seen this before fantasy purposes i did have him one year and i'm not drafting him again because of those low lights where he doesn't really show up and he had two catches and 17 yards against the broncos and that's someone you would expect to go out there using his big frame and get those targets get those catches but for whatever reason him and herbert are on the same page or maybe it is a corner that that shuts him down so what exactly are you seeing from him when you go back and look at the film that says damn this is where he needs to get better or there's other factors yeah, no, it's a really good question. Weirdly, his his home away splits are odd. Like all of his bad games this season have come at home, and then all of his big games have come on the road. I don't know if there's anything to that. I think it's just it's just kind of just a random statistical um, development. You know, I think it's the way teams play the Chargers. I think smart teams. If you know Keenan's not going to be in there, you're going to roll coverages Mike Mike's way. I think there were some missed opportunities in some games, like that Jaguars game when Justin was dealing with the ribs and wasn't truly comfortable Mike was open in the deep part of the field and they just didn't get him the ball in a couple plays I think some of it is is the competition that he's going against um you know but then you know he goes to the Browns and Denzel Ward played pretty much that whole game that's a really elite cornerback and Mike has a great game so I think it's a lot of it is just how teams are playing and like if you're going to go into a game and say hey we're not going to let 81 beat us you know take the Bill Belichick approach and, and double him and roll coverages his way and force some of these other guys to beat to beat you. I think that's the way to go. Cause it's worked. Like you can take Mike out of the game. If you, if you, if you double him and really focus your defensive game plan on him. And some of these other guys don't really scare you that much, especially when Josh Palmer was dealing with injury. Deandre Carter has been a journeyman. Um, you know, I, I've actually liked what he's done, but he's certainly not Keenan Allen in the slot. So if I was game planning for the chargers and I knew Keenan Allen wasn't playing, I would focus everything in my secondary and my, in my past defense plan on taking Mike Williams out of the game and forcing one of these other guys to beat you. Interesting. You say that because we all watch film, and through the first five weeks of the season, the Seahawks, four weeks, I just say, the Seahawks didn't do that, all right? They got destroyed. 
Mike and I have a little joke that if you want to have a career day, just play against the Seahawks defense, whoever it might be. Because if you look back at how the season started, random players, they're like, huh, they're still in the league? Oh, they have a career day. I mean, hell, Taysom yeah. Hill two weeks ago had a career day. So I would look at the Chargers and say, man, you could take away Mike Williams, but Austin Eckler, he's proven that he can be a catcher out of the backfield and he can, against the Browns, run the football. And the Seahawks are still, mm. again, trying to find that consistency. So my question to you would be, let's say they do shut down or make it tough for Mike Williams. Although I think he could have a breakout game just because of the size. And if they line him up away from Tariq Woolen, who's a speedster, and the Seahawks really don't, they don't play that man where they have a guy falling. Tariq's going to be on that side the entire game, no matter what. Who would step up in that scenario where Mike Williams maybe has, you know, four catches and 50 yards? Who do you think needs to have that big game? Yeah, and that's really the question. It could be a number of guys, you know, just based on how Josh Palmer played Monday night, I think it could be him. He looked a, he looked a lot more um, healthy, really, you know, yeah. moving well, making plays after the catch, all those types of things. Um, so, you know, if, if you do take Mike away, it's got to be a combination of guys. It's probably Josh Palmer. And then Gerald Everett is another guy I'll throw out there who's been a really good <laughs> piece of the offense. Um, he, uh, you know, he, Donald Parham suffered a concussion. A Monday night and so he um he's gonna be out for the foreseeable future he had a pretty serious concussion in week 15 last year he got stretched off the field I don't know if you guys remember that in that Thursday night game and um now he's gonna be out for the foreseeable future so Gerald Everett's gonna ha have to take on a pretty big load as, as a tight end and they're doing a lot of interesting things with Gerald Everett in terms of running tight end screens you know getting him in yards after catch situation he's a beast after the catch so they get, it would have to be a, a combination of guys, but if, if they really were to take Mike Williams away, the guy that you're looking for in terms of receiver is Josh Palmer, and I think he's getting a little bit healthier and, and could be in store for a big game if they take away Mike. I find it interesting that the when the Seahawks had Joe Dever and they ran tight end screens, I don't think he netted a positive yard, but <laughs> with the Chargers, he's out there getting the screens. You see him making plays, so good for, good for him because he did struggle in Seattle a few times with those screens, and Mike has outlawed that. He doesn't want to see screens anymore. We can discuss that another day, but good for Joe Everett out there getting screens and being an impact player as the Seahawks thought he would be. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. I don't want to see Seattle run screens, to be very clear. <clears throat> I think screens are fine. Screens are uh Great. Gets your alignment in space. But yeah, Seattle with the screen game. Uh, very, very, very. It's like me in fantasy. Just you don't <laughs> you don't want to say I have bad fantasy luck, too. Like I watch I'll pick up John uh, uh, Josh Palmer and watch him just have a terrible game. I just did it last week. Picked up, you know, yeah, that's all it is. It's just luck. It has nothing to do with your scouting of players. Yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> uh, it's uh, unreal. Anyway, let's talk about my guy. My guy, Brandon Staley. And I call him my guy because anybody listens to me. On the show, follows me on Twitter. Now I'm captain of hashtag never kick. Um, I don't care whether you're on your own 39 or if you're on your own 21 sometimes. Fourth and one, go for it, man. Don't, don't, you know, don't be scared. Scared man don't make no money. So when the Chargers hired Brandis Daly and he gets to being king of the nerds, I'm like, this is great. I'm all in. I became a Chargers fan um, right, right away. Uh, so I want to talk about his aggressiveness. Uh, also, shout out to your piece, too, that you wrote on him. Um, the math mindset behind the NFL's most aggressive coach. And you guys to go, when you're done listening to this, uh, go read that. Just a good, uh, A, it's rare that any of us get to just sit down with the head coach of the team we cover. So anytime you get to do that, that whatever the hell you talk about is, is valuable, um, I think. But then also to get into his mindset of why he's so aggressive uh, was, just, was just fascinating. I want to talk about uh, specifically with this year, um, and as you know, Staley gets a lot of pushback about being aggressive, 
He spurs a lot of terrible debates on the on the broadcasts about analytics and when to go for it, when not to. And he gets – I thought you had to write a piece kind of detailing last year because he had a lot of stuff going wrong. Uh, or not, He had a lot of failed attempts, and people were like, ah, see? So I don't go for it, ignoring that his aggressiveness won them some games earlier in the year. Um, so has it because of that? I'm sure Staley hears that, and and, and the aggressive has its pros and cons. How has that changed at all this year? Is he still the same aggressive guy at that same high rate? Has he dialed it back at all? Yeah. So he, I mean, the the process of making decisions has not changed. So they have an analytics department led by Aditya Krishnan, their director of football research, um, and and they're modeling every game. Um, factoring in every conceivable thing that you could factor into a model that would impact a football game. Um, so the process has not changed in terms of how they're going about it. Basically, at, on every first down, the people that are involved in the decision-making process, which is you know Staley and offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, defensive coordinator Ronaldo Hill, special teams coordinator Ryan Ficken, they are basically told at that point on first down, if you get to this many yards to go on fourth down, it's going to be a go. So that may, that way, Joe Lombardi can can call his plays on first, second, and third down, knowing that, hey, if I get here, we're going to go for it on fourth down. And then they go for it on fourth down if they get to that distance, unless Staley says something. So all those processes haven't changed in terms of – and then the guys that are modeling. What has changed, I think, to a degree is is the math behind it. And, I, and what I mean by that is they feel like they have a better defense – they feel like they have a better punt unit. And so that changes the math because last year their punt unit was horrific and their defense was horrific. And so that affected how they made decisions, obviously, because all of that stuff in terms of their efficiency on punt and their efficiency on, on defense is all impacted and implemented into the model. And so if you have a better defense and you have a better punt unit, that might lead to some more conservative decisions in certain situations. The process hasn't changed, but the math that's being included in the models has changed because the personnel has changed and the, how they value these units has changed. And so I, that's why I think in that Chiefs game, you saw a couple of decisions that Staley made, um, you know, f- you know, fourth and two from inside Chiefs territory, punted on both of those times. And that really went against, um, you know, typically how he had made decisions in the past. But I think that was just, you know, the result of the change in the math and the model. Um, you know, and if we're talking about like the, the conversation around him, the thing around it, the thing that really frustrates me, because I end up having to, you know, write about this a lot and talk about this a lot, the, the conversation is different when you have a successful conversion versus a failed conversion. And the conversation is focused on the wrong thing, which is the result, as opposed to what is the process behind the decision making. And so the, that Browns decision got a ton of attention, right? Because they go for it, um, you know, up by two points in their own territory, fourth and 1.7. They don't get it. The Browns almost win the game on a field goal. Everyone's like, how could you possibly make this decision? What no one's talking about is the week before against the Texans, they went for it on a fourth and one from their own 44-yard line, up three against, you know, in Houston, and they successfully convert it. And they score a touchdown on that drive to go up 10 points. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. It's just, And there was, you know, five minutes remaining in the game. They don't make it. Texans take over, have a chance to tie the game on a field goal. But no one talks about it in the same light because it was successful and it worked. And you end up having these conversations only when it doesn't work. And I'm like, I'm happy to have the conversations about whether it was a good decision or a bad decision about whether the play call was good or not. But let's have the same conversation. Let's contextualize it the same way when it works and when it doesn't. Let's group it all together so that you can look at the aggregate over a course of a season and say, was this actually beneficial? And on the aggregate last season, it was hugely successful and led to numerous wins, more wins than losses. But everyone likes to focus on the failed conversions and really 
dive into that without actually looking at the entire picture, which also includes the successful conversions. I mean, after the selfishly, after the uh, the Raiders game to end, you know, the regular season last year, I'm down with Justin Herbert throwing it on every fourth down ever. Because yeah. those were some of the best throws, it, considering the situation, what was on the line. Like, I just, Chris, you remember that last year when it's just mm-hmm. Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, mostly Justin Herbert, though, like, oh, fourth and 17,000 yards? Watch me squeeze this tight window post here before hitting three fucking yeah. defenders. Like, yeah, after that, I was like, fuck it, Staley. I compare yeah. it to playing Madden. You just, I don't care, fourth and seven, I'm going for it. I have Keenan Allen outside, Mike Williams. I'm going to throw the ball, and one of these guys is going to come down with it. I get it. It's aggressive, but I also understand that sometimes you just want to attempt that three and get those points on the board. Although you did give me a nugget there, off wax there, I understand why teams kick it. I do. I really do. And I'm not going to be mad at a team that says, you know what, fourth and two, we're in field goal range. Uh, do I really want to put this defense on the field? If we don't get it, let's just tip the points. And if you make it, you miss it, I guess you can blame the kicker. If you don't go for it, I get it. It's it's a tough one. Analytics will always probably prove that you probably should go for it. But then even then, let's say you go for it, and then you get to fourth down again. Do you now go for it again? It becomes just a... It could become a problem where you just keep going for it and you don't get it. We saw that with the Arizona Cardinals last Sunday. They went for it four times. I don't think got it once. And if they had just attempted those points, you never know the outcome of the game. Do they win? I don't know. But they get the points. They at least attempt the points, and that changes just the game alone because they went 0-4 on fourth down. So it's I, I like I like how he does it, though. When he goes for it, when he's going for it, I'm confident that he's going to get it. I think also it depends on your personnel, who's out there on the field, and who's your number one dude? Like right now, not having Keenan Allen, that's probably tough. You're asking Mike Williams to step up, and he's he had a rough game against the Broncos. So we'll see how it happens. I guarantee you, though, against the Seahawks defense, Staley is going for it every time. I'm calling it. If it's anything under fourth and seven yards, I would put $100 on the line saying he goes for it every single time. I don't yeah. care where the ball is at. How much money you lost betting? This, you, just throw this in here too, Daniel. Kristen got lost a few hundred you know, to start the week here making the bets. Are you up yet yeah. in the plus? Well, I've calmed down, but I did bet <laughs> since, since the NBA season that started. I did bet fifty bucks on Golden State winning straight up against the Lakers. So I'm very confident in that. I think the Lakers are going to lose by at least thirteen points, if not more. Hey, Daniel, Chris started off, I think, week one down like three hundred. Yeah, Broncos, I made I a, I made a dumb bet. I shouldn't have put money on Drew Locke. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought, I just thought Drew Locke would come in and light it up and not throw interceptions. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to, to, to background on that, Daniel, we had a wager who would be the week one starting quarterback. I he didn't need no know. background. He just needed to know I lost money. Don't be, uh uh-uh. uh. Well, oh, I wait, so, you, so you're betting on Drew Locke to start. You weren't betting on Drew Locke. To win a football game. Yeah, see, I knew. I, see, that's why I gave the content. I knew that's how it sounded. That's why I was throwing yeah. that in there. Yeah, we bet on who would be the week one starter. Even like, worse, you know, Gino. Gino started every game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. who would be the week one starter? We bet in training camp. Gino won by a mile. Chris had to uh, give me a nice crisp hundred. Uh, two things more on, on analytics, though. I think that are uh, fascinating to hear, depending on the fan base and the players. So let's start with the fan base. How are how do Chargers fans generally just uh, feel about having the NFL's most aggressive coach? It's a good question. I think it depends on what age demographic you're in. Like, I think the older fans are, they have a hard time wrapping their mind around it because it just goes against conventional thinking. And like, 
my dad's a good example. You know, my dad's 60. You know, I, we grew up watching football together, uh, you know, watching the Giants. And like, you know, he's, uh, you know, Bill Parcells, old school football type guy. And he uh, sees some of these decisions and it goes against every fiber of his being as a football fan. Um, and I think that like when you when you talk to older Chargers fans, it's like, hey, like I understand it. I appreciate the work you've done to try and explain what the process is, but it still feels weird when it happens. Right. And I think some of the younger fans who are either more analytically minded, more open minded because they haven't been watching football and seeing decisions made a certain way for decades and decades. You know, they're they're more open to it. Um, so I think it really depends on sort of how long you've been watching football and, you know, how certain decision making processes are sort of embedded in your brain. You know, for some people that are 50, 60 years old, this goes against how they've seen decisions made their entire football watching life. And I think it's hard to change. I mean, it's like you can broaden it out to, to um, you know, life in general. At that age, like it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Like it's hard for people to change and accept new ideas across, you know, any part of life and any part of society. And I think that's what you see here. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't. I think. Uh, yeah. That I would love to see Staley like be a coach of like an NFC East team and have that aggression. I feel like his fan, the fan base is there. They're all the twitters of the NFC East teams are just just full of just just fervent. Uh, believers yeah. in their team they get twitter and twitter in general is just full of, of yeah it gets it's slop. It, yeah it's, it's it's a lot of trash yeah. in there one last one so how did I, I can imagine how the offensive players may feel but i'll ask it anyway how do players on both sides of the ball feel about their head coach's aggressiveness so here's where i'm at with it all you want if you're a player is you want a guy with a plan mm. like you want a guy with conviction like that's all that matters like if you feel like your head coach has a very specific detailed plan of how he's going to go about making decisions you have to support him where it gets hairy for players if you if you feel like you lose trust in your coach because he doesn't have a plan if he's just making decisions based off his gut you're making all of these game management mistakes and there doesn't seem to be some through line in terms of this is how we're going to make decisions brandon staley has a plan he's had a plan since the day he got here and he has not shied away from explaining it to whoever wants to listen including me right he'll talk to his players about it he'll talk to the media about it he'll talk to his staffers about it he has been very clear and transparent about how he's going to go about making decisions. So like the players sometimes will be, it'll go against how they usually feel like decisions are made, like Keenan Allen tweeting after the game, but ultimately like they're not surprised because this is how he's going to go about it. And it's how he's explained it. And so all you can ask from your coach is to have conviction, have a plan and be transparent about that plan. And that's what Brandon Silly has done since the day he took this job. There we go. I like it. Um, let's talk. Let's talk defense uh, here uh, for a couple of reasons. A, because the Chargers went out there and were like, we're going to fix this fucking defense. We're going we're yeah. to sign Joseph Day. We're going to trade for Khalil. We're going to pay folks. We're going to sign JC. Like, we're going to fix this defense one way or other because it was, it was pretty bad. The other reason is just like, I, I love talking Staley because he's like, I call him unofficially the dude that broke the Seahawks because in 2020, boy, them Rams just had the Seahawks just, just, just cooked. Three, I know they beat them in twenty in the week six. Uh, Seahawks won the week sixteen game to win the division. Jamal Adams smoked the cigar, but in general, playing Staley's defense three times in nine weeks just destroyed Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll, and to the point where they got divorced uh, before our eyes. So, um, considering all of the the good you know background that Staley has on defense, considering the the players that they've they've invested in on that side of the ball, I'm like. What's going on here, Daniel? How come the uh, the Chargers don't have like an elite defense in 2022? Yeah, so I think J.C. Jackson playing the way that he's playing has been a real problem. You know, you go out and you sign a guy to that kind of money, you expect him to come in and be a premium number one shutdown corner 
boundary corner, taking their best guy from the jump. And he just hasn't been – well, he, he missed time, missed the first game, missed the third game because of this ankle surgery. And then when he's played, he hasn't been good enough, and he got benched on Monday night. So I think that's been a factor. They lose Joey Bosa, and the whole plan for the defense is, okay, we're going to have two elite edge rushers, and everything is going to feed off of that. And so they're not going to be able to target help to Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. We're going to get a lot of one-on-ones for those guys. We're going to engineer one-on-ones for those guys because it's hard to defend two elite pass rushers on every single down. And that was going to open things up and create a lot of pressure on the quarterback. You lose Joey Bosa and that affects how much pressure you're getting on the quarterback. They really don't have a ton of edge depth. So it's been 31 year old Kyle Van Noy, uh, you know, second year, former fourth round pick, Chris Rumpf, uh, waiver pickup, Derek Tuska, you know, it just that's what's been rushing off the opposite side. And so um, that's affected, um, you know, their their pass rush. And then they've just been prone to these big plays. You know, J.C. Jackson's been beat on a couple, but Nasir Adderley, who they're expecting a big jump from at safety, he got beat on two touchdowns or two long plays, one touchdown and then one deep shot to Nico Collins in the Texans game. Um, he's been making a lot of mental errors, taking bad angles on runs. He got benched against the Browns, started on Monday night and got brought back. So I think you just had slip-ups here and then, just the, the explosive plays they're giving up on the grounds. Uh, they gave up a 52-yard run to the Chiefs, 50-yard touchdown run to the Jaguars, and James Robinson gave a 75-yard run to the Texans and Damian Pierce. Um, and then they gave up a 41-yard touchdown to Chubb. It's like you give up explosive plays like that, and they're also giving up these explosive plays in the passing game. It's going to be really hard to be a consistent defense. Um, I don't think they're a bad defense. They're probably a middle-of-the-pack defense. Um, if they can eliminate some of these explosive plays and just play more consistently, they can probably be a better defense. Okay, so you mentioned J.C. Jackson, and is he out the doghouse? I'll just flat out. Is he gonna? I'm guessing he'll be. He didn't lose his job per se, right? He's going to be back starting against the Seahawks, correct? All right, yeah. So J.C. Jackson, um, we'll see, man. Okay, we'll see. Like they, like he has not been good enough, and they straight up benched him. And Michael Davis play, came in and played really well. And I can guarantee you that Brandon Staley is going to put the best cornerback on the field. And if he, if he doesn't see JC Jackson sort of turn a corner here in practice, like I would not be surprised if he doesn't start. Mm. Um, it's been, I, I don't, the, the weird part is when he came out in training camp, he was playing at a really high level. And so this whole idea that he's not fitting into the scheme, I think is complete bullshit. Like he came out in, in training camp and was balling. And then he gets this surprise ankle surgery, minor procedure to get something removed from his ankle and he just has lost his confidence. And I was talking to him in the locker room last week. He's like, I just got to get my swag back. Mm. I'm like, well, how do you, how do you get your swag back? He's like, I just got to get a pick. Like my nickname is Mr. INT. Like I got to get my hands on the football. And like, it's such a tough position. If you aren't playing that position with confidence, it goes downhill quickly. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how many interceptions you've had in your career. I don't care what your PFF grade was in your first four seasons. Like if you lose confidence, it can go downhill very fast. And it can turn into a tailspin situation. And that's what we're seeing right now. He's just not confident. Um, and so I think it just takes one big play for it to turn him around. But if you can't trust him, you can't put him out there. And you put Michael Davis out there, you have people in the right positions for an entire half. And you hold the Broncos to negative nine passing yards in the second half in overtime. And I know it's the Broncos offense. But if you feel like Michael Davis is going to be playing assignment sound football, and that's all you need. You don't need an elite player there. You just need an assignment sound guy that's going to be in the right positions. And then you feel like the scheme's going to come to life. Then you feel, and I feel like you have to make that decision. So I could very easily see JC Jackson not starting this game against the Seahawks. Got it. How's Asante Samuel Jr. looked out there? I know he's going to be tasked with the, a fun matchup this week with the Seahawks and DK and Tyler Lockett. How's he looked, though, so far? 
Yeah, he's he's looked good. I mean, he, he took on the, the challenge of, of defending Devontae Adams in that Raiders game in week one. He got beat sometimes, but what I love about Asante Samuel Jr. is that he has that short memory. And so he got beat. Like, there was that clip that went viral of Devontae spinning him in circles and getting free on that, like, you know, 50-yard catch. Um, Asante got, you know, juked out of his shoes and then missed the tackle. On the very next series, he came back and had a pass breakup on a second 25 on a Devontae Adams comeback route. And that's kind of how he's been his, his entire career. Um, so he's he's playing well. Um, I've, I've loved the way that he's tackled in space. He's a, he's you, you, you know, his competitive fire really jumps off film. Um, and he had a really good play against uh, Jerry Judy on Monday night. They tried to run a double move on him um, on a third down. And he really defended that well. So he's he's a, he's just a solid number two corner. And that's really what they were looking for when they drafted him. But I think the vision for the defense was, hey, we'll get J.C. Jackson in here. He'll be a premium number one top five corner type guy. And then that'll allow Sante to really develop in that number two role. But without JC Jackson in there playing the way that they expected, it's kind of forced them to ask more of these other guys, particularly Asante. Well, he's going to see a lot of Tyler Lockett come Sunday. So that'll be a fun one to check out for sure. And then mm-hmm. lastly, Bryce Callahan, he was, I watched Balling. the game. He was making plays. Can Balling. you tell me a little bit about his game and what he does at that nickel spot? Cause I, Every time I every time there's a tackle for a loss, he was over there flexing and making plays. I'm thinking, damn, this dude looks looking pretty good. Yeah, he's playing at a really high level right now. And you know, he's just been so injured. Like he's had mm. so many injuries over the past three, four years. He has not been able to play a full season. And so when he was healthy early on in his career, and he's played in this scheme his entire career, whether it was in Chicago or Denver, uh, with Vic Fangio. And so he knows the scheme really well. But when he was on the field, he was a really good slot corner, one of the best in the game. But when you are that injured and miss that much time, you kind of lose um, your luster in terms of how people think about you. And he's what it comes down to is he's been healthy. He's been on the field and he's been healthy. And you're seeing the, you know, the old form of Bryce Callahan come through. He's aggressive. He's smart. He's always in the right position. He moves really well in the slot. He has that you know, type of physicality in the run front that you want from unical corner. He can blitz. He's doing a lot of stuff for them. And he, but the thing that jumps out most is that he's just been really sound in coverage, just sticky in coverage. He's been a real bright spot for this defense because they signed him to like a vet minimum, minimum contract. Um, and he's been like a really, really, really solid slot corner for them this season. What the Cardinals did against the Seahawks on Sunday, last Sunday was they really made it tough for the Seahawks to go at, go at using DK and Tyler Lockett. And I'm curious, do you think the Chargers will try the same thing and say, you know what, we're not letting DK and Ty kill us. Throw it to D. Eskridge and your other guys. Is that something you see happening again where they make sure, yeah, we're not letting your best guys get the ball? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to take away two guys. That's why you build your your roster that way, you know? So, you know, I think you can you can go into a game plan and say, yeah, we're going to take away one guy, but trying to take away two guys is going to be tough. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you had J.C. Jackson on the field, it would be different. Like, if you had J.C. Jackson playing his top-level football, you feel like, okay, you, you know, you get D.K. in the boundary and you can put J.C. out there and figure out the rest. But without him out there, or if he is out there not playing at the level you expected, it makes everything a little bit more challenging. So I'll, I'll be really fascinated to see – you know, what they do in terms of this game plan. Um, but they've been prone to some big plays in the passing game. I know they play well in that second half against the Broncos, but regardless of who's on the field, there's going to be potentially opportunities to hit hit shot plays down the field, and the Seahawks have been exceptional in the passing game so far this year. So that's definitely a matchup to watch. King Gene, as Mike would say. <laughs> I have a, a fun stat here. I had uh, Mike Sando help me out with this because, yeah, um, anyone who watched the Seahawks game against the Cardinals saw, like, the DK and Tyler combined for four catches for just 51 yards on 12 targets. That's a pretty low 
um, like total for those two combined. I was like, man, have they had a bad game like that before? The answer is yes, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for asking. So in week 16 against the Cardinals, actually, uh, uh, 2019, they combined for one catch mm. for 12 yards. Uh, it was Tyler who had the catch. DK was held without a catch. In week 10 last year. That was, had, that was DK's rookie season, right? Yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Peterson just shadowed him and shut him down. It was the short version of that. Uh, week 10 last year against the Packers, um, they combined for five catches for just 49 yards. I think 26 from DK and 23 from Tyler or vice versa. So uh, team, I think teams are going to – there is there is somewhat of a blueprint uh, out there on how to bracket two guys, how to double two guys. Part of that is just cover really well. You know, <laughs> you know that's <laughs> that, that that's part of what uh, Arizona did. Uh, last – Last defense thing here, we'll go to Seahawks defense. Are you excited for the Uchenna Uwosu revenge game that we're going to get uh, on, on Sunday? Absolutely. I'm expecting a big performance from Chenna, just having spent, you know, three seasons around him, knowing, you know, how, how these guys get motivated. I, I imagine that Chenna's had this game circled from the moment he signed his contract with the Seahawks, or I guess as soon as the, the schedule came out you know, after he signed that contract, they love Chenna. I mean, the Chargers, you know, he's a guy they drafted and developed, you know, they kind of drafted him. They didn't know where he was going to play. Was he going to be an off ball linebacker? Was he going to be an edge rusher? Eventually, you know, started to show some promise as an edge rusher, really fit into that role in Brandon Staley's scheme. He got off to a slow start, but really played well down the stretch. He had some big plays and interception in that Chiefs game. Um, and so, they wanted to bring him back, but then all of a sudden Khalil Mack becomes available and Brandon Staley is so familiar with Khalil. They feel like he has stuff left in the tank. They make that trade. And at that point, as soon as they take on that, that cap hit, they just can't afford to pay Chenna as a third edge rusher. And so they let him walk, you know, you give that explanation to Chenna. I don't think he wants to hear it. Right. He's like, mm. if I'm good enough, he would have brought me back. Like, you know, taking an objective view from my position, I'm like, well, if Khalil Mack was available. It made sense. They could fit the money into the, into the cap sheet and all that. But Chenna's probably looking at it and saying like, you guys didn't want me. And and when a player feels that way, especially a guy as talented as Shannon Uwosu, he's going to come out with his hair on fire. And uh, like I said, the, the tackles are a little bit of a, of a weak spot for the Chargers. Trey Pipkins is playing well, but he's got this injury now. Jamari Salyer is a rookie six-round pick. Um, and when he goes up against elite edge rushers, we saw that he's prone to some some mishaps like against Miles Garrett. Obviously, Miles Garrett's a better player than Shannon Uwosu, but still, like, there's going to be some opportunities here for Chen if the if the Seahawks can get this, the Chargers in an own pass, and I'm expecting him to have a huge game because if I was him, I'd have this thing circled. Oh man, I can't I can't wait. I'm glad you brought this up pre-show too as well because I almost forgot the 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 uh, rush to just get you on here and do everything we're doing. Man, I love a good revenge game. Man, I hope and now I'm kind of hoping the Seahawks win just because I'm a big fan of narratives. Because like week one, I had forgot week one Seahawks Broncos for somehow I just forgot getting in, in the Russ and Pete stuff. I forgot that Shelby Harris played for the Broncos. So when I see his interview after the game, I forget who he was talking to. I think it was like James Palmer, NFL Network. And then Shelby looked in the camera and he's like, yeah, that's what happens when you trade one of your D linemen to the other team. Mm. And he stares at the camera. Yeah. I was Shots it, fired. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. So I'm hoping we get something like that from, uh, from Jenna on, on Sunday. I, I, he's, I picked he's pretty soft-spoken. Right? He's pretty soft-spoken usually, but like, I feel like if he if he has like two and a half sacks and like including like the game clincher, he'll be talking some shit in that locker room. Oh man, it'll be it'll it'll be great. Yeah. yeah. Now now I'm rooting. And he's from he's he's from LA. You yep. know, he went to he went to USC. So he's yep. never really lived outside of outside of Washington, or excuse me, outside of California. 
until yeah. until this year. So yeah, I can't exactly. I can't wait. I want to scrap the over under that we have for Herbert. Let's go. Let's go. Are you all right with that, Chris? We go with Chenna uh, with the over. Let's yeah. just do two. Do let's two? do two. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's, we'll start with Chenna and then close it out with uh with with Jay Herbo. Uh, two over over two and a half sacks for Uchenna Wosu. Oh man, <laughs> that's tough. That is high. He's only got three on the year, so that would be that would be tough. Over. Oh, I want I want all the spice I want all the spicy revenge game angles, so I'll go over. Yes, I love. Are you sure you got the Chargers winning this game, Daniel? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, he he had him by like two, so I mean, it could be. It's you know, yeah. It's uh, one one way or the other. Three sacks, three sacks, all from Chenanuosu, in uh, just not important times in the game. Yeah. Are the, are the it's, Chargers it's all making sense. Uh, Trust me. It's all it's all coming together. Yeah. 23 what's 21. The, uh, what's the kicker's name that was hurt last night? Is he kicking on Sunday? No, he's Hopkins? out. No, he's out two to four weeks. So it's going to be Taylor Bertolette. And they signed yeah, the how practice many, squad in week five. How many times are you guys going to go for two? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Probably a lot. No, I. Bertolette actually kicked well. He made all six of his kicks in the Browns game. So oh, they were wow. all under, th- they, all the field goals were under 30 yards, but he made all his extra points. So. No, I don't. I, it's not going to be that type of situation. You know, he's okay. he's like a professional kicker. So, um, <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the fourth downs, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, like, like you know, fourth and two from the thirty-five. That seems like an automatic go because he doesn't have a very strong oh, yeah. leg. Oh, oh yeah, I would. Like I said, anything under six yards on fourth down, I put money down. Even though Mike was like, "I don't know, Chris, you lost some money earlier this year." <laughs> Damn all that. He gonna go for it. He gonna look at that Seahawks defense and think. I like my ch- I like my chances here. Let's let's give it a go. Especially if Keenan's back. Yes, if Keenan's back, then that's just even that's even more fun matchup with Tariq Woolen, Mike Jackson, the whole secondary. The Seahawks going up against those wide receivers. That'll be fun. So I hope Keenan's healthy and is good to go. But I get it. Hamstrings are not nothing to play with. Literally. Last one though. Jay Herbo throwing that ball this season. He's having a solid year. Two hundred and seventy six. And a half yards over or under against the Seahawks defense. I gotta go over here. Seahawks D, I mean one performance against the Cardinals. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. Do exactly. It again, you know? I'm right there Especially, with you. So you get Corey Lindsley back in here. Let's say Keenan plays. It feels like it feels like a, a you know 320, 325 type game if they can if they can get Keenan back. So Damn. yeah. I'll go over. I mean, look, the Seahawks D is not is not good, right? Am I am I off the mark here? They no, they had no. their best week against the Cardinals, and that's a terrible offense. So you know what? Good. Now I said do it again. Consistency. Do it again. Yeah. Can you do it against a better offense with a better quarterback, better weapons? I mean, hell, the Arizona Cardinals didn't even have D Hop, but I'm not gonna get in that because they got smoked by <laughs> a couple of teams that didn't have their premier players. So let's not make that excuse for them. But they did it once, and then, like as you said, Daniel, consistency. Can they do it again against the Chargers? So it'll definitely be a fun one for sure, man. Yeah, statistically not, Daniel. You're not. They're not off. Even after not allowing a touchdown um, against the Cardinals, which is pretty impressive in the NFL. I don't care, I don't care who you're playing, yeah. uh, unless you're playing Urban Myers Jags, because you should let them score. Um, or the Broncos. Yeah, I guess they're the Broncos uh, as well. Although they have the Broncos with 16, so that's yeah. not, not too bad. I kind of love this angle, though. You have two defenses that were like kind of struggling, have really good performances against bad offenses, and it's like, are, is it actually for real? Both, I feel like both <laughs> defenses are kind of in like the same boat. Like, okay, do it again. 
They got yeah, better watch, offense. Watch the winning team have like 40. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in this narrator, in, the defenses yeah. are not good. They did not do it again. No. <laughs> uh, the Seahawks still, after having a great game against Arizona, are 30th uh, in EPA per dropback uh, on defense, you know, ahead of yeah. only the Raiders and the Lions, two of the worst teams in the league. And I think they're giving up like the second most or third most like yards per attempt uh, still after shutting or after having a good day against Kyler. Yeah, they're 30th in yards per attempt allowed at 8.3. So the defense still is – the sample size is still wide enough to say they got to prove it again, Daniel. So you're you're on it with 286 two, – uh, 276.5. That's a good over-under, Chris. Uh, uh, glad, glad you picked that. Absolutely uh, right. Daniel, we thank you for, for joining the podcast, sharing your food poison story, shouting out Taco Bell, <laughs> talking nerdy analytics – uh, with us just breaking down the matchup. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, love being in SoFi, best stadium in the league for, for my money. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast, man. Give a shout out to your uh, social media and stuff. And uh, you have a YouTube show as well. People can check out. Shout everything out, man. This is your time. Yeah, yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. And then, yeah, do my YouTube show, Hops with Pop, um, kind of inter- intermittently at this point. Cause I started doing those live rooms on the athletic app. Got to bring people into the company. You know how it works, Mike, but yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. And I have one more take before we head out. Give I think that we man. should, I think that we should ban the word analytics. Like don't Ooh. use analytics anymore and replace analytics with more information. That's it. Ooh. Ooh. Cause I feel like if we had the conversation instead of saying analytics, you said more information, everyone would pause and think about how silly some of these takes are. Cause that's all this is. You're just getting more information to make a decision. None of these coaches are sitting there with like a, like a spreadsheet being forced to make decisions based off what that, what the math is telling them. They're just getting more information and then making their decision. Now, some coaches will lean into that math more than others, but that's all it is. And particularly for the chargers, it's just gathering as much information as possible to make a decision. So no more analytics, more information. I like that, man. Change your bio to that. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not analytics. It's more information. Yeah, no, I love that. I've, I've defended analytics on the show before. We've had Ben Baldwin on here a bunch of times. Ben's the homie. Um, So we talk numbers and stuff. Yeah, it's just I like to use the example from the scene. Remember the Titans? Uh, Wherever that movie is set, like in the 70s or some shit, where the, uh, the math teacher brings in uh, or the, uh, Denzel Washington's character has the math teacher crunch numbers. Um, I think he's looking at tendencies on the other team's offense. I think is what he was looking at. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it was their defense. Can't remember. Anyway, that's basically that was analytics, quote unquote. Like, yeah, this is how often they run this play versus this package, this percentage of the time. Like, everything can be anal- yeah. anything that's not just a divide this number by this number, and that's the average. Pretty much all that in football is some advanced math. And so, yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm king. I'm king of the nerds over here. I want teams to go for it and. Be aggressive and take information into account. Yeah, all, all, all that stuff. Take into account whether your center has food poisoning. You know, mm-hmm. take into account whether it's coming out the front, coming out the back, or both. That's got that's analytics. <laughs> that, yeah. That's analytics. There you go. What take percentage? Two. What percentage of the liquid is coming out the front or the back? <laughs> Oh, I led you guys the wrong path. My apologies. <laughs> the, the visual there just got me, man. But th- thank uh, you, well, Daniel. I'm glad you gave us a hot take, man. Chris actually used to make me do one after at the end of every show. So I'm glad you unofficially. Man, I might have to get back to that. Nope, 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 nope. We're good. Just Dan- Daniel's the only one. Um, that's that, that's it. it. Uh, pre- appreciate you. And thank you guys for tuning into the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Uh, I am Mike Dugard. That's Chris Kidd. 
That was Daniel Popper, man. Covers the Chargers. Does a great job. Uh, again, go check out his piece, if nothing else, from uh, earlier this offseason on on, um, on Staley. Let me get the headline here, right? The math mindset behind NFL's most aggressive coach, man. It's good stuff. Uh, gives a good example of what you, type of shit you get when you follow Daniel, man. So we will catch you guys uh, after the game on Sunday. Uh, until then, we're out. Peace. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.